You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Thanks for tuning in with us for part two of our discussion. You're not serving this person because of them or because of your own great altruism. You're serving out of your service to Christ. When did I see you, Lord? Well, I was hungry and you fed me. I mean, you know, I was sick and you took care of me. So, you know, you can literally think that mental illness is the demonic, okay? You can think that. That's fine. Think that. But that does not in any way keep you from being liable for the fact that God says you could care, you should care for that person. You know, and then that, I think that's the thing is that we, we use these cop outs. So, you know, I pray yeah. for my clients for healing. I pray for my clients against the demonic. We can just get that right off the table. Right. Uh, you know, and so, you know, that, I think that's what we should do with all believers, but you know, it's time for us to step up. There's nothing else like mental health where, believer and non-believer are more likely to go to a clergy member, to go to a church before they go anywhere else for assistance. I mean, if this isn't a divine opportunity, I don't know what is. And, and, you know, I want to make sure that if this is a divine opportunity that I'm, you know, I'm stepping into that and saying, well, God is, God is in this, this is God's will. And so that's where I want to be. I think it's powerful that you say a divine opportunity, because one of the things you talk about in the book is the deceptive power that Satan has. And we can easily deceive ourselves into thinking we have a right to know why, or we have a right to call someone's situation, you know, good or bad. We don't have those rights. We are called to love them. And so we can totally miss the boat as a, as a church by, by just falling into that kind of judgment or that kind of deceptive thinking. I was very touched several years ago, Matt, when we had gone through an incredibly hard time, uh, my children and I had, and my daughter at the time, years ago, had been self-harming. And of course, we were met with not a lot of favor. And so she and I worked through that together. And we were driving on the road a couple years later, and there was a homeless man on the corner and she goes, Mom, stop. And I'd never seen her done this before, do this before. She reached in her little tiny purse, pulled out $3, and she said, here, I love you. I was blown away. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that is amazing. But from her own pain of rejection, she right. knew what that was like. And she goes, I don't care where he spends that. That's not mine to choose. And I thought, you're a whole lot holier than I am. <laughs> it was my well, children no, teaching us again. I think that's where we have to get. I mean, I think that we are, um, the church just should never be a place where you have to clean yourself up before you come in. Uh, and we do that with mental health. I mean, we tell people to get it together. Um, and the church really should never be a place where, you know, extreme behavior and things like that should be a problem. Because, you know, I have to say, if, you know, I could tell you terrible stories of families I've interacted with that mm. churches threw them out or got restraining orders against them and their children to keep them away. I mean, I mean, stuff that you can't even imagine. But if our if our rigid hierarchical structure that we have on Sunday morning mm. becomes more important than the people, then 
there's no way that that is the church of Jesus. I mean, there's right. just no way. I mean, yet those, those, you know, I understand that many of these traditions that we have, uh, we've followed for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, depending on the church you go to. But, you know, the apostles and Jesus did not put those into action. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they are, they're okay. There's nothing wrong with them. But when they are divisive and they keep uh, people from uh, being drawn into the fellowship, and I, and I say that from this perspective, you know, someone with mental illness, they might not be able to sit still during a service. You know, they might be overwhelmed by the worship. They might, you know, different types of things like that. So I think we have to be, you know, careful. You know, you mentioned earlier when we were talking uh you know, a lot of times when people um, have a child with a disability, oh. you know, they have to take turns coming to church. And it's the same thing with mental health issues. I mean, as, as many as 75% of people with serious mental illness have to be cared for by a loved one yep. uh, or live with a relative. So, uh, I mean, there are only, I mean, one of the things you have to understand is there are only 35,000 hospital, psychiatric hospital beds in this country. I mean, which is, I mean, there, there are, you know, if you if you if you look at all mental health problems, 65 million people a year. If you look at just serious mental health problems, you're probably look at like 47 million people a year. There are only 35,000 hospital beds for psychiatric patients in this whole country. Oh we my got gosh! Rid of we got rid of all those. You know, we we decided that those were bad things, and now there's nowhere for these people to be treated. And so. Plus, these are chronic conditions that can last a lifetime. They can be managed, but they, you know, it's like diabetes. You know, it, it, it's something you have to manage. And so our, our system is terribly broken, and the church has either been apathetic uh, or, frankly, you know, really kind of, you know, destructive by using spirituality to kind of harm people. Um, and I think another thing I would say to the viewers is this. I'm not talking about fringe groups of Christianity that say don't go to a doctor, um, you know, right, I'm talking about right. mainstream right. Christians that are sitting next to you in the pew that will literally tell people you should never take psychiatric medication because that shows a lack of God's, you know, trusting God's healing abilities. Uh, you know, even the very popular um, Christian authors that will say flat out, you know, there's no such thing as mental illness. It's just sin. You know, I've had any number of pastors throw, you know, Philippians at me. You know, it says be oh. anxious for nothing. That has nothing to do with anxiety disorders. Uh, I mean, you know, one of the things you have to understand, the Bible never, not one time does the Bible mention the brain. There's no mention of the hmm. brain in the entire Bible. Um, you know, the Bible is, is was written long before people understood the brain. Um, and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the Bible. The cars are never mentioned in the Bible. I mean, you know, your liver is never mentioned in the Bible. Hi. I mean, it, it, so, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, when you, when you go to that kind of, you know, you, that self-righteous kind of, well, the, you know, scriptures are sufficient for all things, you know, hey, that's great. If you're really going to live your life that way, that's great. But then, you know, when your car breaks down, you should look in the Bible. I mean, if you're going to define it that way, sure. I mean, I think that. The scriptures are absolutely sufficient. They are the authoritative word of God. They are, you know, I believe that they are without error. I think they are an unbelievable miracle that we can have the words of God in our hands. But, you know, it's not a science textbook. I mean, you, you still go to a physician, you know, I mean, it's right. It, you still go to a mechanic, you know, you I mean, so it's so the thing is, is that, you know, I think we have to be consistent in our theology because we're talking about people's lives here. And, uh, you know, you tell somebody to stop taking psychiatric medication, you could literally kill them. Yes, you could. In fact, one of my son's medications, if he runs out and doesn't have it, he could have a seizure. 
No, absolutely. Instantly. That's very dangerous. Yeah, it's very dangerous. And it's so funny. My dad, <laughs> my dad and my husband, they'll sometimes say to me if they notice I'm a little bit short um, or curt in my responses, <laughs> Colleen, what happened to that little pill that you swallow every day? Is that still being done? <laughs> I'll say, well, yes, it is. I'm just being very human, and I need to work on my attitude. Um, but it is true that as parents or as individuals who have a loved one with a disability, I can't tell you how many times I've apologized to someone with my son who has Tourette's and has and shakes with tremors and has anxiety disorders, they'll look at him through the service. He's not being very disruptive. But after the service, I'll, I'll stop and say, I'm sorry if that was disruptive. And I explain it. And then they're like, oh, we are so sorry. And I'm thinking, I shouldn't have to explain that to you. You shouldn't have to explain it, not at all. How you about should. reaching over and going, I just want to know, is there something I can do to help you this week? Exactly. I mean, that should be our first, our first draw should be sympathy. Our first draw should be, let me relieve suffering for you, as opposed to how dare they interrupt my special moment with God kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. And, you know, and that, that, that's the thing is that, you know, we, you don't, we don't ever know anyone's story until we get into a relationship with them. And so, you know, I don't know why that guy's on the end of the block sitting there with a sign. I don't know why your son is sitting in the pew shaking. I mean, there could be right. a traumatic, terrible story behind that. This could be an illness. It could be all types of things. You know, before I, you know, try to make a, a judgment call here, I, you know, I need to be willing to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to step in and become part of that story and understand what's going on. And so, you know, I think that we, you know, the other thing is that we, we don't, we fear what we don't understand. And many of these illnesses, while, you know, these numbers I give are, you know, millions of people, we're talking nation, I mean, globally, we're talking 450 million people. I mean, there's no people group, no culture, no country that doesn't have mental illness in it. It's always existed. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. I mean, plenty of people are described as mad or insane in there. So, I mean, it, it's it's always existed. But since we don't talk about it, huh. and these people tend to be disabled, and we kind of move them aside, yeah. um, you know, you don't interact with a lot of people every day that are mentally ill that you know. And so, so we think of it as, is kind of a hidden type of thing. And it's not something we talk about a lot. So, and it is hidden. it is hidden yeah. because we're afraid to talk about it because of the rejection that we do get. Yeah. But if you go and, you know, if you go and talk to your grandparents, mm -hmm. you know, and you ask them about cancer, mm -hmm. I mean, during their generation, you did not say that word out loud. If somebody mm -hmm. had cancer, that was not even mentioned. There was, all, there was such a stigma associated with that. But now, I mean, everybody talks about it. Everybody right. understands, you know, what that is. And so, you know, I think that it's, it's education is important. But, you know, and again, I think that's something that the people of God can step forward and say, you know, we're here to care for people. We're here to relieve suffering. We're here to provide a hope that transcends circumstances, which is something that the world can't do. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and we're not going to judge people for, you know, things that aren't their fault uh, because we live in a, you know, what a great opportunity to say, you know, when someone comes to you and says, well, why do I have bipolar disorder? I don't understand this. You know, I can give you this, I can give you the neurobiological right. background. Okay, great. That's, an, that's one aspect. Of it. But you also can say, you know, yeah, you know what, we live in a fallen world. And let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about, you know, something that, you know, you, you may not 
it may not cure your bipolar disorder, right. but it may give you an opportunity to be empowered to be able to walk through this and to be a, a you know example for others as you draw close to God. You know, again, the man born blind, Jesus presents his blindness to the disciples as an opportunity, yeah. as you said, for God's power to be manifest in his life. And it's much more than just his healing. I mean, because that's just the very first part of the story. The story doesn't climax until later when when Jesus sees him, finds him in the temple and he worships Jesus. I mean, so, I mean, he, you know, this is the part of the scripture where Jesus talks about himself being the light of the world. So mm. the man sees physical light, but then he sees the light of the world. So, I mean, he's changed in both ways. Uh, and so, you know, that's the opportunity here. And so it's, uh, you know, we offer, like I said, a hope that transcends circumstances. That's something that doesn't exist in the world. So we have very unique things to offer, but we don't have to alter what we do. We just have to treat people with compassion, sympathy, stop trying to judge people and be all self-righteous. I mean, that's first century, you know, that's first century works-based. If you tell somebody that your depression is because your your faith is weak and that's why you're depressed, I mean, you might as well be living in the first century Israel because, I mean, that's just straight up first century works-based Judaism, basically. Right. And I love that one of the stories that you give is a lady who is depressed. Um, she said, it's like getting run over by an 18-wheeler and everyone coming around you saying, okay, get up. Come on, you can do it. Okay, don't you think you've been down there long enough? And then they walk away. That's how it feels. Yeah. You know, and, and to some extent, we even we actually even do that to people who have physical illnesses somewhat. We at least initially show sympathy, but we are not good at the long haul. We are, uh, you know, we want everything. We're, we're in this kind of quick, 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 quick kind of society, and we want everything fixed by next Thursday. Uh, and so I'll pray for you now, but man, can you just stop bringing all this trauma to me all the time? You know, and so, you know, if you've got a, a debilitating illness like bipolar disorder, like that woman has, um, I mean, they're going to be good weeks and they're going to be bad weeks. It's going to be up and down. Tourette's, as you mentioned with your uh, son, there's good weeks and bad weeks. There's, there's good, good days, days and bad days. days. Exactly. So, it changes you know, with so the weather. The thing is, is that, you know, you praise God for the good days and hold on to God for the bad days. But, yeah. but the thing is, is that we have to be willing to be there for the good days and the bad days, not just an outside observer that says, Oh, look, it's Tourette's. Let me pray for you and then run as fast as I can to get away from that because I don't want to become part of your suffering. I mean, you know, again, Paul in Philippians, I mean, he talks about uh, wanting to know Jesus and his suffering and become part of that, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, suffering, if, you know, to some extent, that's all that Jesus promises us in this world is right. that we're going to know suffering. Right. And, um, you know, some aspect of what we go through in this world uh, is important to our e eternal life and our eternal existence with God. It shapes us in some way. It changes us in some way. And if all we do is avoid other people's suffering uh, so that we feel okay, uh, you know, I think we may be missing out on a, on a great spiritual you know, growth or transformation in our own lives, not just in the life. And those people with that are suffering that are put into our lives are as much there for our, us as they are, we are there for them. Well, I was talking to one of our, one of my coworkers the other day, and I said, my son is the best Bible that I've ever read. Right. I mean, he's taught me more about the Lord and about my pride and control and judgment than a verse. 
Well, I say it all the time. Mental health problems are, are absolute theology changer. I mean, if you think oh. you got it all figured out, if you think you understand grace, if you think you know any of this stuff, all you got to do is all of a sudden have a mentally ill relative or friend that you have to work with and take care of. And <laughs> Come to you, my house. It changes you everything. Learn a lot. Because you, know, you suddenly understand what, you know, that there are no limits to grace, you know. Yeah. And uh, again, the, one of the problems is that we think we have it all together. And we think when things are going okay the way we define them, that, you know, that that's, that's spirituality, that that's a rela good relationship with God. We just, you know, but we're missing. You know, there are so many people that are suffering in this world. And I don't just mean in some remote place in Africa. I mean just around the corner from your house. Absolutely. Sitting next to you on Sunday in a pew. But we don't interact with people. Uh, we don't talk to one another. Uh, you know, and, you know, even when we go to a Bible study, you know, we put our, our faces in the Bible. We don't want to know what's going on in people's lives because, you know, it, it, if I do that, then I might have to be vulnerable. And I, you might also say something that, you know, I might have to help you. And, you know, I mean, it's, uh, we, we've kind of, we've sterilized the church. And uh, I think mental health, you know, back to what we said early on, there's a real tension between science and, and, and um, the church for some reason. And, you know, I mean, in all reality, science came from the church. I mean, the earliest scientists were monks and priests. Huh. And I mean, it's just an investigation of the wonders of creation. But I mean, I think as Christians, we live very fearful lives where we're fearful of suffering. Yeah. We're fearful of things we don't understand. We're fearful of the devil. And we are fearful of somebody proving that our faith is not real or that God doesn't exist. And that's not faith. I mean, faith says, I don't care what happens. I, I believe in God. I believe that he exists because of my own personal experiences with him, because of what I've seen, because of what I've studied uh, you know, it, it, it's not a fool's errand. I mean, it, it, you know, you have certain uh, things, but I think, unfortunately, we see a lot of these discussions of creation and evolution. And I think what happens, you know, in certain parts of the church, uh, then people kind of reject all science and they think of psychiatry and psychology as science. And then they say, well, those things aren't real. Well, yeah, you said it's funny. We don't have a blood test to prove mental certain mental illnesses. Well, we don't have a blood test necessarily to prove a lot of autoimmune disorders. But do I have no, some of them? There's no there's no test for Alzheimer's disease. I mean, the only way that you can absolutely prove that someone had Alzheimer's disease is do a postmortem on their brain. I mean, they're. Right. That, that's a diagnosis based on symptoms. But again, when we go to the doctor, most illnesses are diagnosed through our self-report of symptoms. I mean, yes. that's you know, that's just how it is. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it's no different than other illnesses. These are not, you know, I, I had a Bible, uh, a Bible study leader one time that I was interacting with because, because he had told a client of mine that he should stop taking his medication because God had said he wanted to heal him. And, <laughs> you know, he just, he told me, well, these mental illness things, they're so amorphous and just, you know, not really defined. And, you know, I, I told him, I said, well, I wish somebody had told me that before I spent, you know, many, many years of my life getting a PhD and all of that, you know, because it seemed pretty defined to me. They made me right. read things. And I mean, th th that's just naive. I mean, that's just right. naive. I mean, th these things do exist and they are illnesses. I mean, I, as I, you know, I kind of very flippantly and a little bit to be funny say when I do presentations, I, I could take a hammer 
and I could hit you in the head enough times that I could change your behavior. And that, you know, and that would be because I damaged your brain. And right. so if I can damage your brain and I can, and it will alter your behavior, then clearly your brain has something to do with your behavior. Uh, and it can be damaged. You can be born with, you know, you know, we, we never, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. We, we tend to not say that a child who's autistic or a child who's mentally retarded or what we now call intellectual disability, right, right. we tend to not refer, think of them as that as a spiritual issue. Although I've personally worked with families who have had churches tell them that their child's autism was the demonic. Oh, I have. Uh, uh, yeah, I've heard that you know, and been told that. And I have heard it's the parents. It's the parents, right? So, and that was, you know, of that's course, I want to fifties psychology is that, you know, that we used to teach it. Schiz we used to think schizophrenia was caused by the parents, but the refrigerator we moms of the nineteen fifties. You know, we know those things are not true now because we can see the abnormalities in these individuals' brains. We have brain scans. We have biochemical measures. I mean, you know, when anyone says to me, and I have pastors say this to me all the time, that there's no such thing as chemical imbalances and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what they're talking about because I, I know that there are certain influential Christian leaders that have said that, but you know, I can say anything I want. I mean, I can right. say unicorns exist, but that doesn't mean it's real. Right. I, mean, I could fill this office that I'm sitting <laughs> in 10 times over with articles that demonstrate biochemical differences and neuroanatomical differences and functional imaging differences. I mean, we've found differences. Now, what we don't know is why those differences exist. Right. We don't know why these things happen, but we don't know why pancreatic cancer happens either. Right. I mean, and who, who's, we've got to get rid of the idea that we have a right to know right, why. We don't have a right. So and as Christians, really, we do know why these things happen. They happen because we live in a fallen world. I right. mean, and that to us, that really honestly needs to be enough of an answer. Yeah. Now, we certainly can look to physical remedies and physicians to, to try to relieve some of that suffering. There's nothing wrong with that. That's mentioned in the scriptures also. Hezekiah and a poultice of figs. Job mm -hmm. scrapes his boils with pottery to give him some relief. Uh, David plays music for Saul to you know relieve some of his suffering. I mean, that's present in the scriptures. There's nothing wrong. All that's God's provision. But the reality is, is that as believers, we know why these things happen because we live in a fallen world. We should expect nothing less yes, yes. than to have these things. And in fact, it is the exception when you don't. Right. And so, you know, when we, you know, your son struggles with Tourette syndrome, I mean, that, that is, that is a physical mm. present sign of our desperate need for a savior. Mm. And, and at all various levels, a need for a savior to save us from our physical infirmities, a need for a savior to save us from our self-righteous judgment of people who are suffering, a need for a savior to give us words of wisdom and encouragement to walk along with someone when we have no strength. I mean, a need for a savior to show us what real love is so it's not conditional. I mean, you know, he has that for his as a result of original sin for, you know, in his own life, as he does much for others' lives. I mean, right. he is a living testament of how, you know, of people be, should be drawn to him. And unfortunately, we don't find that to be true. We, we aren't, you know, and I'm first in line, you know, with Paul, hmm. you know, we, we have a tendency to just worry about ourselves. Well, so you're, let's do this. You're standing in front of a group of pastors at a seminar and you're wanting to 
you're wanting to give them ideas and ways they can serve and ways they can be involved in people's suffering because you're right, the research proves and you have it in your book that when you have a spiritual support, that support supplies greater healing benefit than social supports over the long haul. And a lot of autism studies have shown that and a lot of preemies studies and family studies have shown that. You're, you're with pastors, what would you tell them? Well, what I would say is, you know, I think the first thing is you have to educate yourself about these issues. I mean, go get a book, go, you know, get online and look at some different websites on. <laughs> Read this one it, right uh, here. Okay. <laughs> Read that one. Depression and anxiety <laughs> are the most common mental health problems. Those are what you're going to run into the most. So yeah. start with that, you know, depression and anxiety, you know, so educate yourself. I think secondly, uh, I think you need to start to just mention these things and talk about these things in your church. I mean, develop your congregation as a real congregation of grace and acceptance where broken people are, are accepted and brought in. So, mm-hmm. you know, do a sermon on mental health problems or uh, have somebody get up and give a testimony about a mental health problem other than addiction. I mean, we hear that all the time right. and that's great, but have somebody get up and say, I've struggled with depression my whole life. And this is how, you know, God has helped me walk through that. Or this is how the church has served me or really, you know, comforted me during that time. I mean, make these things normal and so real that these are them. part of the, these are part of the human existence. And mm. so, you know, in your prayers at the end of your service or in your or in your bulletin or in your newsletter that goes out, when you list people out for prayer, have people listed out. You know, we're praying for, you know, the Johnsons because their son has bipolar disorder. I mean, right. make it, you know, it comes to life. It's out there. It's something that, you know, and then, you know, maybe have a mental health care provider in your community or somebody in your congregation, you know, do a workshop or a weekend seminar to just say, you know, this is a place where you're welcome and this is how we can serve you. And, uh, you know, and, and that these are physical el- uh, illnesses, but they certainly have spiritual aspects to them That's and just have some discussion of that. I think those are, you know, those very simple things right there can make a huge difference. You certainly, I mean, you can go all the way and you can start a, you know, a mental health ministry, which is what we help churches do and things like that if you want to. But I just think, you know, being an equipped, uh, you know, what I would say is a mental, mentally health equipped church, you know, the, the clergy or the ministry staff, they need to be able to recognize mental health problems. They need to have, know how to make a proper referral and they need to know how to respond effectively. And, and that, you know, some of those things I just said are part of the response. I think, you know, if your church would like to have organizations come in and offer support groups. I think that shows people that the church is a place that is, you know, willing to, to assist and be comforting with these types of things. Absolutely. Uh, I think the more that we can do that, the better. I think, you know, spiritual is our default. It's our paradigm. And that's great. But that's only part of our being, right. you know, and so relieving people's suffering and meeting them where they are in their life, you know, either be that financially or physically or whatever, that allows us to build a relationship that then allows us to share with them the greatest story that ever happened. Hmm. And that will change them forever, literally forever. And so, you know, without that uh, relationship, without that opportunity, uh, you know, their suffering, uh, their illness, their problem may be so significant that it hinders them from being able to receive the gospel. And, And, you know, what if all you had to do was you know, go over and mow their grass three times and now you have an opportunity. So, you know, that's what I would say. Just do, you know, do the same things you do for somebody with cancer, but just make sure you do it. 
Yeah, there you go. Make sure you do it. And I will say there were times in our, there have been seasons where I've had a hard time believing that God was good. And just someone saying, I'm going to believe for you right now was what I needed to get through that time. And it was it life changing. I won't ever forget those people in my life who have at times believed for me when I could not believe because I didn't have it right. in me. Now, and I, and I think part of that, you know, we really we we just we live in such a unbelievable society here in the West, mm-hmm. and uh, we want for nothing. And I think that it is very hard for us to understand uh, when we suffer like that, when you have someone who suffers like that right in front of you. You know, we, our churches have not done a good job of teaching us that, you know, God's goodness is not driven by circumstances, yeah. you know, because we, we all default, we, it's hard not to think that when things start going really, really bad, you're like, Hey, what are you doing? Things were great. Right. What are you doing now? Uh, you know, if you suffer all the time, you know, if you're living in a mud hut in the middle of the Sudan and you don't have any water ever, uh, you know, it's the, it's just the complete converse. When something good happens, it's you're, you feel you blessed. That's exactly and, right. Uh, and so, but you don't look at the daily circumstances as, you know, God vacillating between good and bad, but we do that here. And again, I think that's all about, you know, how we teach about God. I mean, God, we live in a fallen world. God is sovereign. God loves us. And he, but we throw verses at people like, oh, you know, Colleen, all things work for good. Oh my gosh. I would hit you in the head with the hammer. (laughs) God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So for in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, for instance, where it says we have, you know, God has a plan for us or, uh, and he wants to prosper us. I think a lot of times we, you know, forget that he says that to Jeremiah and then Jeremiah has this you know, we think of Jeremiah as the weeping prophet because, I mean, he has this really what's a pretty rough ministry. No one will listen to him. We use that verse to say, we imply to people when we say that to them, well, God yeah. wants good things for you and things are going to be good and they're going to work out. When in reality, what that's saying is that God does have a plan for you and he does want to prosper you and all of that. And he's present with you and he's going to walk through whatever occurs with you. But... Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look good in human sense. And so That's exactly I, think, right. I think we just have to be, you know, we have to be really careful. And mental illness, you know, really causes us to question our theology. We think we have that little God all in our little black box. In reality, you know, God's much bigger than that. And God isn't afraid of mental illness and God is sovereign over mental illness. And he can walk us through that. You know, Matt, when I went through the section of your book where you talk about God being good and God being big, sometimes I really wrestle with putting those two things together because what I may think is good, it may be good, but it may not be the best. It may not be God's best. And so I don't know if my son will be healed or if he won't be healed. In my mind, it's good for him to be healed. In God's plan, because he has such a big picture that may not be his will. And that's a really hard thing to settle with. And he won't, he might not know healing here, but he, I mean, we, we have to remember that this is just a blink, you know, it's a vapor. It's so short in comparison to literal eternity. I I think one of the things that might bring some people comfort is, you know, if you really look at the universe and you say, you know, why are there are these stars and planets and all of this stuff going on if we are it 
you know, and, and I think, you know, really what you're looking at is, you know, God displaying his majesty and power in a, in a very physical way for us where it, it makes no sense for us and it's absolutely overwhelming, you know, so to look at that and to say, you know, if God is sovereign over that, if he can create that, then, then yes, I know I'm suffering terribly, that this is miserable, but he's present with me in it. And, and I do recognize that, you know, just like I'm this small being in this vast universe, this is just a small amount of time in my greater um, eternity, you know, which will be with him, which I'll know perfect healing. I'll know, you know, I won't know any illness. I won't know any suffering. I'll only know peace and joy in his presence. Yes. And I think that like Jonathan says, I cannot wait to be with Jesus where I will be whole. Right. You know, and I think, you know, and I encourage you to call, to write, to connect with me because we are here to help you become all of who the Lord wants you to be. Thank you so much, Matt. Again, it's been a great time with you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Just because, you know, let's say spiritually you do have it all together, uh, whatever that looks like, um, that does not necessarily, I mean, Job had it all together and he yeah. suffers terribly. Uh, and so, um, you know, Paul has it all together. We think we we like to think he does. He doesn't. But we like to think and he suffers. You know, he even says he does. You know, he begs God to take this thing away. And God says no. Who defines all together anyways? All together is Jesus. And so, yeah. you know, we you know, you know, we're righteous uh, in our spirit, you know, in our in our inner being. I mean, God has, you know, placed his Christ's life within us and we are perfect and blameless there. But, you know, life is an opportunity for us to become more dependent on that. And, you know, frankly, I mean, I don't like to say it out loud because God might put suffering and more suffering in my life. But the reality is, is that suffering is an opportunity to draw, unlike any other opportunity to draw close to God. Uh, and, you know, it, there's a reason Jesus said that it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is to put a camel through the eye of a needle. I mean, if you have no needs, if you have no wants, if you if you have everything that you possibly could imagine, it's hard to understand how you might need a savior. You know, Matt, I think it's so interesting that we talk about how big God is. We can talk about how broken we are. We can talk about who has it together and who doesn't. Really, we all need to come together and realize this is not our home. And let's pull together and help one another as we work through these issues of mental illness and challenge. I want you to talk about the Hope and Healing Center because I think it is a phenomenal site and what you guys are doing there is an incredible work that all pastors, all people need to know about. Yeah, the Hope and Healing Center and Institute are located in Houston. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you go to our website, we have a lot of, which is hopeandhealingcenter.org for the center and hopeandhealinginstitute.org for the institute. We have a lot of resources, particularly on the center website for different types of mental health problems. Uh, we also offer uh, mental health coaching, which uh, you can uh, meet with a mental health coach or, or even work with a mental health coach over phone or Skype uh, to help, uh, you know, for those or for people who have mental health problems, to help them build coping skills or strategies to, to manage their illness. Uh, and we also uh, do a lot of programs and training. We work with uh, congregations to help them determine uh, if they are equipped effectively to deal and help people with mental health problems and help them set up uh 
you know, support groups or mental health coaches or whatever it is that their particular congregation may need or be interested in developing to help people with these mental health problems that might be in their congregations or coming to their congregations. And on the Institute side, it's a research institute where we're developing different types of interventions or programs, particularly with an eye to equipping faith communities. Uh, right now we have a program um, for special needs, uh, families with a special needs child. Uh, and uh, how to make uh, faith communities more uh, inclusive and more accepting of families that have a special needs child and how to care for that child. And then also a support group for the family members themselves. And then uh, we also have an adoption foster care program to help uh, faith communities become more equipped in uh, being part of the, the uh, answer to adoption foster care issues. But uh, we're always here to uh, to assist, and we're particularly interested in assisting faith communities. So if you're a pastor and you uh, are dealing with these issues and you don't know, um, you know what to do, we can help with individual uh, situations you may have, or we can help come in and equip you and your staff to uh, be ready for these problems. Well, how about if you're a pastor? In this discussion, you've realized probably these issues are in your church, so you need to call the Hope and Healing Center and get connected so you can minister to your, to your congregation. And I also would say this, or you're a pastor and these are in your family. I think pastors are, uh, you know, we hold them to an impossible standard. Uh, and, and, you know, pastors struggle with depression and anxiety and these things just as much. And so do their family. And a lot of times they have nowhere to turn. And, uh, you know, we're a place that you can turn to and we can help you get help. And, and we certainly can help you. And everything we do is faith-based. We all do this from a, a very integrated perspective. We, we believe that the church is the answer. Uh, and that, uh, you know, Christ offers a hope that transcends circumstances. Matt, in our time together, we have really validated the whole mental illness struggle. And there are people, I'm sure, that have been rejected by their family, rejected by the church, rejected in their community, and they're suffering, and they're suffering alone. Will you speak to that person who's listening right now? What I would say is this, I mean, the church, while it certainly is a representative of God, uh, it is not God. And God has not rejected you, and, and uh, God longs to be in relationship with you, and God is bigger than your suffering, and God's bigger than your illness, and, uh, and He can see you through. He can provide a healing, or He can provide sustaining grace if He chooses not to heal you. And, uh, and so, you know, you know, I would really say that, you know, don't allow uh, what, you know, naive people you know, do in the name of God to be, you know, somehow taint your uh, view of God himself, because God loves you and cares for you. I also would say there are plenty of congregations out there that would be very receptive and friendly and welcoming to you. Uh, we can help you find that if, you, uh, if you're interested in that. We have a lot of congregations around the country that we work with. So, you know, give us a call or, or email us and we can help you with that. But also I would say that, you know, I would really recommend that you get into a support group. You know, get into a group that uh, where people have a, a common experience with you that may be struggling with the same kind of illness that you've had. Uh, and, and, you know, really you can walk along together and see that you're not alone, that you're, you're, there are other people that are struggling with this, other people that have done, you know, they've, they've struggled through where you are right now and they've moved on, uh, or people that are behind you that you can help move along and pull along and, and bear their burdens. And, you know, a great organization to connect with would be the Grace Alliance. Uh, just go to yeah. mentalhealthgracealliance.org. They have uh, faith-based support groups for people with mental health problems all over the country. Uh, or they can help you set one up in your local uh, congregation or neighborhood. And so uh, that's another great place that you might check out. 
Matt, thank you so much for validating this whole area of mental health for your research, for the time that you are spending on this. For the people that you're helping, and I encourage you as a listener or as a pastor or a church member, please come and walk alongside those who are really struggling. They are all around us. I encourage you to call, to write, to connect with me, because we are here to help you become all of who the Lord wants you to be. Thank you so much, Matt. Again, it's been a great time with you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media, or share it with some friends who you think would be touched. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. If you'd like to be updated on Reframing's activities and content, please feel free to subscribe on our website. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we'd love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.